episode three of the Ramble begins. I am here with Hal Rudnick. That's my guest today, sketch comedy hero Hal Rudnick. And this is going to be the first podcast post Trump, post insurrection. So it's going to be puppy dogs and rainbows. What do you think, Hal? Oh, uh, how do, what is a, what does the future hold for us? I mean, the clouds have parted. I think America is perfect now, and all the problems are fixed. Exactly. COVID, not even a, not even an issue. All the racists stop being racist. <laughs> Overnight. Yeah, pretty pretty perfect now. Magical, unbelievable. Uh, Mervin, thanks for having me. Uh, you know, uh, you know, jokes aside, it was a nice day yesterday. Uh, <laughs> a real party for uh, libtards such as myself. And yeah, I think that, you know, there's a lot, a lot of mess to clean up. Yeah, I agree. There's going to be a lot of um, unifying. There's going to be a lot of, um, a lot of repair. I wanted to see what your thoughts were on Donald Trump's biggest con. Because for me, when I look back in the four years, the reason why I thought he got in there in the first place. I mean, there's a lot of reasons, obviously, but but I think the, the biggest reason I thought was that he sold himself uh-huh. as some sort of uh, messiah for the, the blue collar worker, the labor force. He was somehow pro-union, which uh, turns out was a big con. I mean, if you look at the uh, Rust Belt, they uh, unanimously voted against him in 2020. Yeah, the, the, the goddamn guy has never done an honest day's work in his life. So. <laughs> That, that is a pretty good con. Yeah, I mean, if you look back at, at when he was uh, just a New York businessman, quote unquote businessman, he was, uh, the stories were coming out and he was like stiffing contractors and stiffing this and stiffing that. And then filing for bankruptcies with one of his shell companies. Stiffing porn stars. Hey, <laughs> yeah. Stiffing in another uh, way. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, he, he's a total con man. And like when you ask like what's, uh, what's Don the Con's biggest con? It's like, wh- where do you begin? I mean, it was a, uh, it's amazing that he tricked all of these religious leaders into thinking he was this religious, uh, uh, he turned the corner, he became this devout person, or he was pious in any way. The, the fact that they were able to endorse him and get on his side, uh, I mean, I think. Many were probably wise to it, but there were people who thought he was divinely sent. Yeah, and there is a big issue going on right now with uh, QAnon. And it seems that like a lot of religious people are getting um, sucked in, like where they they felt like he Mm -hmm. (laughs) was the person that was going to eliminate pedophilia in the world (laughs) somehow. (laughs) Well, and not just eliminate pedophilia but eliminate the cabal of Satanists who eat children, which like, Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, that's how deep the craziness of that idea runs. And it's like this guy who, um, probably has, you know, committed statutory rape himself. I mean, you hear these stories about him, uh, sponsoring the Miss Teen USA pageant and then walking into the dressing room uh, while oh, uh, right. young women are getting changed. I mean, he's, I mean, no moral compass. I, I mean, I think the thing is, he's such a garbage person that they had to swing the pendulum into an insane other direction that he's this divine savior in order to reverse course of people think seeing that he was a garbage person. They're like, oh, you know what? The only way we're going to be able to get people past the fact that he's uh, this philanderer, a cheat, a con man, a bad businessman, is that let's create a fairy tale. Yep. And yeah, I think the the people who ascribe to that, because I've got a few of them on my uh, on my social media feeds. On my, especially on Facebook, like a few people that I haven't spoken to in years. Especially on Facebook, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> have, um, have become Q-centric. Oof. And yeah, it's, it's frightening to see these posts and how they've just bought it hook, line, and sinker. And I get it. Like these, you know, child 
abuse and abduction and sexual abuse are horrific, nightmarish things. But these, like these stories and how they connect these loose threads, where you know this shit went down in the basement of a pizza parlor in Washington D.C. and <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, it, 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 it's really you know sad to see people so bought in to this thing. Yeah, it, it's weird. It, it, to me, it's it's one of these things where I see a lot of hijacking. Like, like there, there was a legitimate kind of save the children movement, you know what I mean? But it wasn't... Uh, it, it wasn't QAnon. It wasn't a bunch of people that are, they're making up conspiracy theories and flooding the phone lines of these uh, law enforcement agencies that are legitimately trying to find, you know, people that are humanly, human trafficked. Oh, yeah. And there's actually... Um, a charity called Save the Children, which deals with um, children who are um, hungry and less fortunate overseas. Like, Save the Children is a real thing. And I think the hijacking of that name and that phrase, Save the Children, is probably hurting actual, real Save the Children causes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think I think it's interesting because, uh, you know, Facebook, like, you, you saw it, I saw it, and it really kind of upset me when I saw like young women starting to um, share these things because it was like tugging on the heartstrings of young women who are actually having kids of themselves. Uh-huh. Right. So it's, it's such a sinister ploy to me when I, when I look at the overall thing um, it just seems like it was thought up as what can we rally people around like what can we rally because like if you're you're not if you're a conservative you're not going to be like let's get people on board Uh for cutting the corporate tax you know what i mean like that sounds like like how are you going to rally people around that right there's a lot of red tape and yeah it's tough to like get people to clearly understand that yeah like like let's let's cut taxes for the wealthy that's you're not going to rally a lot of people for that i just feel like saving the kids that get a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of moms into that, pull them in mm-hmm. hook, line and sinker kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, you're, I mean, frankly, you're a mom, like you're a monster. If you don't think it's that children should be safe and um, protected from kidnapping or sexual abuse, et cetera. So yeah, I mean, that's, it's a kind of a black and white issue. Keep children safe. Yes. And then, and then that's where they dig their claws in and permeate with all these crazy uh, theories, conspiracy theories. And these types of theories have like deep roots in history. Um, and often they've been used a lot in um, anti-Semitic campaigns. You can trace them back centuries and you can even trace them back to like, you know, uh, World War II Nazi Germany as well. Uh, these weird tropes that they use to um, attack Jews specifically. Here, I think it's you know they tie it to like globalists, quote unquote. And then you go you go down the rabbit hole and like they connect the dots to George Soros and all this nonsense they uh, they talk about. Oh yeah, yeah. oh that's everywhere. Yeah. yeah, that is that is the biggest hunk of bullshit I've ever seen. Yeah, but like when you talk about like his cons, uh, it, it's like so many lists. Uh, you have the fact that he got people to disregard the national security agencies of the United States and just take his word, um, disregard journalists and just take his word, scientists, and then the democracy, the, the amount of people he got to believe that the election was somehow fraudulent. Right. Like, look what he's done to the very fabric of this uh, country. The um, last poll I saw, and who knows, uh, but this was like a CNN poll, 80% of Republican voters yeah. believed that uh, the election was fishy. Yeah, rigged. Yeah, yeah. Rigged. Oh my gosh. 80. Yeah, now they're getting now they're getting sued by Dominion, <laughs> the actual voting mm-hmm. co- software company suing the the oh, lawyers yeah. that they spread put the them. My pillow guy at a business. <laughs> I feel like we need a my pillow guy sketch coming up. I, oh, I don't know. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, he he that guy is uh he's begging for uh sketch comedy. Yeah. Uh so you, you have an anti-masker sketch, right? Yes. 
Uh, I, was, I, that, was that what I, I think I saw it on your feed? Yeah. Um, on, uh, it's, I, I think that might be my, uh, my pinned tweet. Nice. Uh, my, my anti, my anti-mask, uh, character. Yeah. He won't wear a mask cause his breath is too bad. Oh, okay. And, and it forces him to smell his own breath and live in, in that personal hell. So he just can't, <laughs> can't do it. And then also he doesn't want to mask his kids because if you mask your child, then, um, if the, like when they have to say their prayers or something, oh my goodness, how will the Lord hear their prayers? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because the mumbling <laughs> and a, and a baby, a young child, they don't even know how to breathe yet. And then you put a mask, you add a mask into the equation. So yeah, I, I made that a few months ago. I'm, uh, you know, the anti-mask folks are, uh, I mean, it's the source of endless comedy and tragedy. Yeah, I'm fascinated by it. it it's um, really interesting. Now the new anti-masker approach is, um, I think it was it was Ron, no, not Ron Paul, Rand Paul, his son, uh, the libertarian. Yeah. So um, apparently he uh, is telling people to not wear a mask post-vaccine, which, you know, on the surface sounds somewhat reasonable, but there's no like way to tell, you know, if anybody has COVID or, or not, cause you could be asymptomatic and, uh, unless, you know, you, you get your temperature checked or you're hacking your ass off. So the requirement is still going to be even post vaccine after you get the two shots that you're going to have to wear the mask until, uh, I don't know, hundred million or something like that, where the cases get down to a certain level and there's a certain amount of people that are vaccinated across the, the, the United States or whatever to where that's when they're going to relax all the masks. And then what do you have to do? Carry like, what, what's the solution? Carry around your, uh, proof of vaccination and show that to get into places. I mean, that's so asinine. He's just asking for people to be irresponsible. We need to contact Rand Paul's neighbor to go back <laughs> into his yard and, and smack him across the face one more time. Uh, the guy's a schmuck. Did you hear, uh, in Joe Biden's inauguration, uh, uh he, Joe Biden took the controversial stance of, saying that domestic terrorists and white supremacists are bad. And Rand Paul was offended by that. Right, right. It's thinly veiled as, as yeah, the call, being called racist and all this. Dude, yes, because that's what happened. That's where, who, who came up the damn steps holding Confederate flag fucking, I mean, Jesus, I, how does he? Yeah, yeah, that's, uh. <laughs> Uh, unless uh, Rand Paul thinks it was Antifa. I heard that. I heard that. It was Matt yeah. Gates too. The other one, the, the other special, oh, special God. guy. Yeah. He keeps uh, mm -hmm. sounding the, the same stupid alarm of uh, oh. Antifa. It's, it's yeah, like, I just pray for Nestor. I pray for Nestor. Matt Gates's son. Oh, you, right. You know about, yeah, yeah his, that is a, that adult, is a, a curious situation. Yeah, what's going yeah. on there? Maybe maybe QAnon I, should look into that. Um, yeah, QAnon needs to make sure Nestor is okay. Yeah. So, when did you become a master of the dark art of character comedy? Well, when did you when did you get into comedy? Is something I've been starting to ask people. I actually wrote a comedy sketch in either second or third grade that I performed in front of the class. I, I, I remember two. One was um, uh, about Cupid. It was, I think it was called Stupid Cupid, and he was making bad matches, like he was shooting his <laughs> arrows at the wrong people. And another one was a commercial, was a, com a commercial parody for a product called rock bottom toilet paper where I brought it, I, I taped rock like little stones to toilet paper. Oh, nice. And you know, I, I, and I think it was, they were all like really SNL quality. <laughs> uh, that was my, uh, like, like first remembrance of maybe doing comedy. And then, uh, and then I was in the boy scouts, when I was uh, maybe 12 years old, 13 years old. And I, one of my favorite things to do was to write comedy sketches and song parodies around the campfire. We had these campfires where people would do skits 
And that was my absolute favorite thing about Boy Scouts. And I wrote a couple that were some deemed too hot for the campfire just because there was maybe like they got it's not quite dirty, but like, you know, just mentioning like ass or right, something right. like that. Uh, yeah, I had my most popular, my favorite thing I did that like I, we did it a bunch of times and had like revolving lyrics, uh, was this song parody called the Kmart rap. And we, we would rap about just how, uh, amazingly terrible Kmart was. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. They, they just closed the one on third street. I, I was like, how long is this thing going oh, to be they, open for? Well, you know what they put in there, I guess, pre pandemic was a Britney Spears museum. <laughs> yeah. I saw that. <laughs> and I hope, I hope that's around when, um, things get a little safer and we can go and we can go into places again. I, I would I would love to visit the Britney Museum, but yeah. So those are. I, I drove by. It's 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 no longer the. It's it's uh, a Christmas um a Christmas apparel outlet, which is still up even though it's past Christmas. Christmas apparel. Oh, yeah, yeah, like uh like Christmas themed uh, sweaters and Christmas themed. Oh uh, sure, some jammies. But but I will say, as far as getting into comedy, uh, dysfunctional upbringing <laughs> always helpful. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the funny thing about me is, is when I was younger, I, I didn't have a, a dad. He'd passed away uh-huh. when I was only one, but, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. But, but my mom kind of like played the role of like the mom and the dad. And, uh, mm-hmm. it, it, she did it kind of like in a really funny way. She would make a lot of, a lot of funny jokes and, and I started realizing what she was doing. And, um, that, that's kind of like when I started realizing the value of comedy. Right. So I wanted to talk to you about, um, where, where I found you. I found you, um, I was taking courses at the upright citizens brigade theater in Los Angeles. And it's the, um, there's actually two, there's one, uh, well, there was two, uh, in Los Angeles. There was one on sunset, which was, uh, kind of a newer building. It was, uh, the parking was on the top. The middle section had like a row of classes where like teachers would help develop improvisers and sketch comedy writers. And at the bottom you had the stage. And, um, when you're in the classes, you, you hear these rumbles and we're in LA. So we're always thinking, Oh shit, it's an earthquake. Nope. It's just a fucking Audi. Um, but that one had closed down, unfortunately, because yeah. of the coronavirus pandemic, sadly. And um, I wanted to get your thoughts on that because I know you were you you obviously did a lot of shows there, and then you also uh, taught a couple courses there as well. Yeah, it was a yeah, it was a pretty cool complex, and the and the complex having a coffee shop as well and a second stage that was more of an experimental and student stage that provided the opportunity to really develop community at the theater. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a nice thing to have because we're kind of all in this thing together, trying to do creative stuff, trying to uh, further our success in comedy and entertainment. And, being around people like-minded. It was like a little college campus, you know, and with all sorts of uh, comedy doings afoot. There was a, there were podcast studios there. There was like a big, there was a big green screen room that um, I used for shoots a few times. And yeah, it's, it's unfortunate, but you know, that's, uh, that's what this pandemic has done. It's come in and devastated so many businesses. I worry because it, it seems like this thing is just just devastating the area as far as as far as our culture goes. It's like stripping us of our culture. So I hope uh, I hope we able to rebuild. But there is one theater that they still have up. It's um, the smaller theater on Franklin, which kind of reminds me of one of the. Um, I grew up in San Diego. Is like one of these like 
punk rock clubs or something like that. It's, it's very small venue, but it's, 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 it's got that worn in feel. It's uh it's a nice little theater. It's, yep. I, I did, um, uh, 2019, I, I was able to put up a live show there. Yeah. And, um, Oh, cool. Yeah. It was, I, I took the last sketch course and, and we were able to, um, uh, use that theater for, uh, the show. Nice. Sketch 301. Yeah. Sketch 301 giant nerd. So it was, it was star Wars, um, uh, based cool. but um it was it was fun it was cool it, it definitely reminded me of those san diego clubs where you just kind of like walk in and then all of a sudden it's like who's playing bro oh it's some band called i don't know blink 182 or something you know so <laughs> uh nice yeah th- that theater is my favorite theater to perform at uh that's where i've done most of my shows at ucb you know i've been at ucb since um oh six oh seven oh wow actually yeah, I, I started, like my first, I took a class there in, in 06, and it, the theater opened in 05. And yeah, I love that theater. I, I love the uh, the proximity of the audience to the stage, like they're right on top of you. The uh, That was always my preferential theater between that and Sunset. Sunset was great because it had all these amenities and the, and the community aspect, but just as a theater to perform, Franklin is... Uh, my fave and it's kind of ironic that the sunset theater closed right after the target that was being built over there finally opened we had spent so much time waiting for this oh it's going to be a magical time we can go across (laughs) the street and just hang out at this big new target and (laughs) then you know the pandemic hit and cut to uh oh the target so the theater shuts down uh, temporarily, we thought the target opens, and then the theater's done. So we never got that magical synergy of <laughs> UCV Sunset and Target joining forces to really uh, make it a golden age of walking across the street and filling time. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I missed out. I mean, we could have gone to Target after a good show, bought ourselves a floor lamp to celebrate. Mm-hmm. For years, that thing was uh, held up in some sort of like building code or some sort Badly, of yeah, but it was uh, building code red thing, tape yeah. or, or something. That I guess they built it too high or something. I mean, it is it is huge. This this thing is it's a it's a multiplex, and um, that thing is that thing is finally done. It's very shiny, <laughs> and yeah, now upright citizens on sunset is no more. But um, there is some hope. The coronavirus package that was sent or that was signed mm-hmm. by Trump actually was, uh, the fi- the last one, uh, had $15 billion for, uh, the save our stages program. So hopefully we get to keep, uh, some more stages here because, it, because it, I, I think it's, it's vital. Oh, it's vital to the community. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, maybe though, if, uh, I just hope people are able to go out and like resume normal life and uh, yeah, theaters, restaurants and everything. But you know, if theaters close, hopefully it will be in a place where new theaters can reopen and we can keep it going. But yeah, um, it would be a shame to see the UCB on Franklin close. That would be because, you know, at least there's one, but we, we, we went through this earlier. So we've had stages close in New York Mm. UCB. So yeah, tough times. Yeah. So many people yeah, are affected and there's so many memories and good times. And it just, it seems like it, it like it, it was not so long ago that it just opened because the theater that at space on sunset was not that old, but yeah, it's uh you had some sort of a show there, right? It was the UCB show on, um, on one of those paid services. I, I forget. It was a paid streaming service, right? Oh yeah. CISO. CISO. That's the one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You uh, were, we did. Were, weren't you a part of that? Yeah. I did a couple of sketches. I wrote a, I wrote a sketch that my sketch group, the midnight show performed. And then I also uh, did a solo uh, character bit and uh, that that, that was that was a lot of fun. CISO, uh, like so many other, uh, you know, streaming, uh, you know, it went the way of Quibi, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. And uh, but um, it was it was a fun experiment, and and it was an exciting thing to be involved with. 
Do do you think any of these uh, CISO quibby kind of things will will ever kind of be successful? Because because it seems like every time something pops up, it's a great idea, and then you know enthusiasm fades after I don't know a couple of months. It's tough. It seems like the business models get a little too ambitious. Uh, The the budgets for things get a little too big, and then it's like, do you have the do you have the assets? The, do you have the IP that will attract people to subscribe? I mean, uh, what was the other one with uh, Sarah Silverman and Michael Sarah and uh, a, a bunch of folks? Um, not uh, oh, Jash. Oh, uh, I remember like, that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, Jash was another one, and then even uh, successful sites like Cracked and College Humor and Funnier Die have seen Funny. just the market change. And yeah. so it's like, what is the thing? I don't know. You need a, you need a breakout hit and uh, like what, what, what'll be the, the Mandalorian for <laughs> comedy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, That's why know, my what, sketch like, was, was star Wars based. Cause it, it was tough to, to look away from that. Oh one. yeah. No. So star Wars gets the click. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, it, it's, it's very tough. So, you know, I think, uh, you know, I, I enjoy watching sketches on, you know, Instagram, like, uh, or, you know, Twitch. Uh, oh, really? Or sorry. Uh, tic- oh, well, I, I do some comedy shows on Twitch, but um, TikTok and uh, Twitter, like you just scroll through, you see people posting a lot of stuff or, um, you know, TikTok, you know, short form sketches. So a platform like that, where it's not only comedy, but you get a little bit of everything, but just like solely having a comedy based network for people. I mean, it's, it seems like it's tough to sustain. Yeah. I was kind of shocked about the the demise of funnier die. I mean, it's still around, but it's nowhere near what it was. I mean, it was like, they're producing original content. They were producing like uh, everything, everything under the sun, really. I mean, I mean, uh, articles and, and memes and this, I mean, it was like a factory there. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, they, they still are, you know, heavily involved in TV production and, um, they're, and they're focused way more on that end now, but yeah, okay. the, the site is, I mean, we, we digest things differently now. Like we want, you know, it, does it, did it make it to our Facebook feed? Did someone repost it? Uh, or, did someone send it to us? Or, but a de- going to a destination for comedy, just for comedy, seems to be oh, much less frequent than it was, say, uh, in 2004 or whenever Funny or Die started. Yeah. And uh, and back to UCB for a minute. I um, I remember I was I was on a Facebook group, or I still am actually. It was, it was an LA writers group, so. Anytime uh, you want some, uh, like a little pep talk to like keep yourself focused in writing, uh, you know, you go, yes, get after it. Yeah, you, you go log into this group and, and it's, it's very supportive. Everybody's like, uh, put that bottle down, boy, and uh, start writing at least one page of dialogue today. Mm-hmm. And somebody had posted an article of uh, UCB and um, the problems people had, like getting onto uh, certain teams and things like that. They were talking about uh, racism ex- uh, specifically. And um, they were talking about how uh, there was a lot of problems with diversity in general. And mm-hmm. I remember going there, I, I took, uh, I took three classes. I took the, the, the all three of the uh, sketch writing program and they were spaced out though. I, I, I did take them all at once. I, I took the one in 2015, one in 2017 and one in 2019. Sure. And I remember going in in 2015 mm-hmm. and it felt like, uh, like you were in Idaho and, it was kind of like, hey, you know, Bob, Chad, you know, but uh, by the time I was done, but 2019, I, f- I felt like there was some progress made on that front. I, I felt like uh, I- I'm pretty sure I was a, like the only straight white guy in my class in, in uh, 2019. And so uh, I-, I think there has been some progress there on that front. Mm-hmm. What, what did you think? Yeah. What I are mean, your thoughts? I-, I-, I hear you because I started out in a time where diversity 
and I'm not saying that uh, I agree with this, but the, the reality back in like, you know, maybe uh, 07 when I got on my first Herald team or whatever, uh, 06, uh, yeah. it was diversity was having one woman and seven guys. Oh, we have a woman <laughs> or we have two women yeah. and six men. And yeah, that's uh, that's not diversity. That's like the op. That is uh, um, not the proper, uh, not a solid ratio. So I think it did absolutely improve over time. And there was more of an emphasis and attention to it and an awareness of it. And it kept growing as I was there. But that being said, you can't make someone feel like they are the quote unquote other that, Oh, we're allowing you in and we know you are different. You are other. Like who is, who's, who is other? Who is, so does that mean someone is okay? A group of people is okay. So if you are making people feel like the other, even if it's not intentionally, even with Mm -hmm. best intentions, then there's an issue there. And I think it's really important that um, people in groups that are underrepresented, uh, people of color, LGBTQ community, um, you know, and people of different genders are able to make us aware, make the UCB community aware of these issues. So going forward, we can create a better model where it says, hey, we all belong. You are here. Be the most of yourself right. or what you want to be. And you're, you're not just welcomed. You're, you're, your voice is celebrated. And everyone should have that feeling. I think, you know, that is the ideal. So even with best intentions, in, intentions I, I understand, I mean, uh, at least a little bit. I, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a basically, you know, white Jewish um, cisgender uh, straight male. And uh, so I have had a different experience, but it takes listening to people who are different than you and making them, making everyone feel welcome. And, you know, you don't want to make people feel like they're a token or like, okay, we're allowing you in, but you're not the norm. Like that, that needs to be addressed. Yeah. So uh, just because you've been working on it, it's like, Oh, we have a diversity program. We have, uh, we have plenty of people who are different. What is that different? Maybe even the language, just saying someone's different. Is that okay? Right. Uh, so there's a lot of learning. And, and I think, you know, especially in, in 2020, there, we, things you know, in this country came to a head in a lot of ways with uh, Black Lives Matter and a lot of racial issues. It, it is time to look at at the way we view things and talk about things and make sure everyone feels welcome and celebrated, and that their voice is just as uh, warranted and necessary for uh, when it comes to performing. And, uh, and and their place in the theater. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it got better, but there's still, uh, you, you want to make sure everyone feels safe and welcomed and celebrated. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, um, fill out, I seem to fill out like a lot of forms like every like month. It's always some sort of form. And there's always a question. It's constant. I don't know what it is. Like it, it, I get mailed a lot of stuff. I don't know. People, people just want my info, but, um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm confident. I'm constantly like filling this out and I'm, and I get this question and I get the question about race a lot and I stopped mm-hmm. putting Caucasian down as my race. I stopped doing that. I, I started putting choose not to specify. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, why not? Let's live in a country where race isn't a thing. Yeah. I, I, no, I appreciate that. I do. I do that as well. Uh, sometimes myself. Yeah. I kind of have like this um, situation anyway, where it's like my mother's an immigrant. She's, she's from Argentina and Argentina is, uh, is kind of like a Spanish Italian thing. And so I, I was always like a little different in school. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't like a hundred percent white 
American, you know, white bread guy from Iowa. You know what I mean? I'm just kind of like, you know, a, a little more like uh, exotic than Fred over there uh, in the corner. But um, sure. so it, it was really interesting, like especially when I took like one of my last uh, sketch classes, there was some some debate on whether or not yeah. I should be writing a dialogue that made a certain Latin person have an accent. <laughs> like it was like, uh, like it, it became like this discussion where it was like, like maybe we shouldn't do that because you're white. And if you make this person have an accent, it's somehow like uh, condescending or something like that or whatever. I, I forget like the exact wording, obviously it's been a couple of years now, <laughs> but, uh, I had to kind of tell everybody like, uh, Oh, just by the way, uh, uh-huh. I'm actually Spanish. Italian. <laughs> like I'm from, like my mother is, uh, is speak Spanish. I'm kind of like Latin. So like, you know, and so it became a thing. Well, it's like, well, you look white. <laughs> so right, like, right. I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm going to fucking choose not to specify for, and we're going to just put this shit down. Like, like we're going to, we're going to end this whole discussion because I'm not, I'm no longer, I'm no Uh longer white or Spanish or I'm just a fucking human being. That's it. Yeah. I I hear you. It's, uh, you know, again, being in the comedy landscape in LA for, geez, like 20 years now, I've absolutely seen things change, uh, you know, precipitously. The, it started out like, you know, people could basically play anything. Like, you know, as long as you're not doing blackface or something, then, (laughs) you know, uh, you know, die like, Hey, if, if you were going to, you know, play, kind of a, some low hanging fruit or some sort of uh, caricature of a person. Uh, right. It, I mean, and to, you know, poor effect. Like I, I saw, I remember one time I was in a comedy show and a white guy was playing a stare, a very heavily stereotyped Asian tourist with a camera and taking pictures of everything and talking in a thick Asian accent. And I actually asked him about it after the show. This was like in 2002, maybe. And he said, Hey, people laughed at it. So I'm going to do it. And I was kind of shocked by it. And then, Mm. uh, and, and then over time, it was like, well, if you look like the thing, you can play the thing. But the, I've seen it evolve more and more. And yeah, a person's ethnicity should not be a costume. A person's ethnicity um, is like someone else's ethnicity. It's not your the butt of your joke. It shouldn't be. Um, right. You know. But as to, to your situation, if you are, if, if this thing is part of your heritage, your culture, who you are. Uh, but then you don't necessarily, uh, yeah, outwardly seem like, uh, to exude that. I had a friend who I was in a sketch group with, he was half Japanese, but Mm -hmm. he did not look Asian at all, but he wanted to play a lot of Japanese characters and do things like play, you know, a, a sushi chef or whatever. (laughs) <laughs> and it was, I don't know why I knew, bit. I knew you were going to say sushi chef. I don't know. I, I was like, I was like, he's going to say sushi chef. <laughs> maybe, maybe we need to both break our stereotypes. Uh, and not yeah. yet, <laughs> but, but he, he would always, he would encounter that same thing. So yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. I, I was directing a show at UCB and, mm-hmm. um, there was, a a popular, uh, a radio personality in the show. And, uh, he, he does a lot of characters and voices. And one of the voices he does is a black person and he's a white guy. And I, I told him that, yeah, this, he shouldn't do it. And he was like, we had a conversation about it, but you know, and, and he wasn't, I mean, yeah, I, I believe that, you know, there are, there are portrayals that, maybe you at, at this day and age, you know, as we become more aware, you, you might want to avoid. 
for sure. So yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting conversation. Yeah, that's a, that, that would be really interesting because then what if the guy is like a hip hop aficionado? you know, and they, they have, they have a certain, uh, you know, way of speaking, mm-hmm. then you kind of, now you're in this other kind of like gray area. Um, but for me, I wasn't even performing. I was the writer. Uh, the person mm-hmm. performing was, uh, visibly like the darker hair, the darker eyes. Definitely. You could, you could say, okay, this person does appear. They read as Latin. X. Exactly. Exactly. Whereas the person writing it didn't read as Latin X and, um, Mm-hmm. And it wasn't completely off base. It was literally, it was taking place in Colombia. <laughs> so it wasn't, uh, it wasn't something that was like completely unnecessary, but yeah, it, it was, it was interesting. It was interesting. It was eye opening. It really is. So, um, mm-hmm. it was one of the most interesting discussions I had there. And, um, but yeah, overall, when I look at the whole thing in, in context, I, I do see, uh, definitely a heck of a lot of progress from twenty. 15 to 2019 and um it would be nice to um continue that trend yeah i mean i think it's just you know people should you know continue to be aware listen to voices who are different than yours and yeah just just keep trying to do better keep keep you know, trying to evolve. Another thing I kind of want to, uh, this is a, is a weird segue from UCB to the Patriot party. I know that doesn't really seamlessly connect, but, uh, I really wanted to talk about this because (laughs) this is something that came up, uh, the other day and it was, um, a really, really salty Donald Trump really upset about losing. And Mitch McConnell came out and said, um, basically admonished him and admonished the, um, the mob of rioters at, uh, the Capitol. And so he proposed a new party called the Patriot party and the Patriot party has a logo mm-hmm. of a lion on it. And so now here we have the hijacking of the word Patriot and the hijacking of the image of a freaking lion. Now, I'm offended. I'm offended. I'm a Leo. Okay. I'm, I have a tattoo. I was, I was 18 and I was drunk in Portland and I got a tattoo of a lion on my arm. Okay. So now, you know, if this thing comes to fruition, all of a sudden people are going to be like, yeah, Hey buddy, you're part of the Patriot party, aren't you? Oh man. Like, no, yeah, you, no, I'm maybe not. Maybe you need to put something uh, that just that makes it clearly Zodiac related. So <laughs> you do not get uh, pulled into these uh, quote unquote Patriots. Yeah, yeah I, I agree with you when you use the word they've hijacked the term Patriot. Uh, like when you watch clips of the, uh, the, the Capitol insurrection, they use the word Patriot. They're throwing that around a lot. They've hijacked Patriot the same way a lot of people have hijacked mm. the Punisher logo. Oh my God, I saw that. I saw that. I was coming um, back from Zion National Park and I got gas in like uh, some town outside of Vegas in Nevada. And yeah. I, I, I'm not kidding when I tell you this. Like I, like I even have a photo of it. I was, I was uh, on one of those... Um, uh, you know, where, where like, there's like postcards and like, uh, magnets, those little things you turn sunglasses, stuff like that. Uh, sure. th- those little things. I can't even think yeah, of where well, I, like, uh, not a kiosk, not a, yeah, but I, yeah. It, they rotate. Station, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> it'll come yeah, with if you're me. Listening, at- if, if you're listening to this, uh, uh leave a comment, <laughs> uh, about, uh, what, what those things are called. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. We, we appreciate it. Um, Anyway, so so one was like live, laugh. Is it, would you call it a rack? A spinning rack. A spinning <laughs> rack. Okay. I, think, I, think I just want to nail this down. I just want to nail down the verbiage. Okay. I feel like it's one word, and we're 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 putting two words here, and and but you want it, me to go ask my wife. I can go ask my wife. <laughs> I wonder if there's something we Google possibly, but now nah, we're, we're forget it. Okay, um, we digress. Yeah. So, so you were we there. Go, I was there I, and, and I was spinning this thing and, and I came across like, like a, a bunch of cheesy ones, like live, laugh, love. And then yeah. I came across this, um, uh, the, the Punisher logo with the freaking hair. It had Donald Trump's hair yes. 
with the wave and the fucking wig. And yeah. so like, I'm like, who the hell is going to put this on their car? It's a sticker, a giant sticker on this thing. And they're uh-huh. selling it at this gas station. And I'm like, man, I, if I was, you know, held the IP on, you know, the Punisher logos, man, I would, I would go ballistic. Yep. It's, uh, it, it's become this, uh, this thing that would be, you know, soldiers of fortune and, and, uh, it's a wrong term, but, uh, you know, these would be, a lot of would be Patriots has adopted as their, their kick-ass insignia. And as a kid who was into comic books and, uh, and who, you know, I read the Punisher, uh, growing up and I, I enjoyed the series of John Bernthal as uh, the Punisher, but yeah, to see it co-opted by, uh, <laughs> militias and things like that. It's, it's kind of gross. And, uh, yeah, keep me, uh, you know, keep me a mile away from that logo now. So I, I think, uh, you know, I just hope Joe Biden can rehabilitate the Punisher logo. On other things. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the Patriot party, who, who knows? I mean, I, I feel like there's, you know, again, we were talking about it before D- Donald Trump got a lot of people to believe lies. So is it going to be this party this, uh, that is fueled by these lies and, and half truths, and that we're just like uh, a fucking feed on the parlor website that where ugly thoughts and theories can run free, where, where hate can thrive? Is it going to be a place where no moderation is going to be a place where hate and white supremacy and uh, rather than, I don't know. I just, uh, I, I would hope we can make this a, a more inclusive place. I, you know, again, uh, just a, a kinder gentler. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to like a boring presidency, but one with, with, with substance though, with, with, with policy, like uh, what policy are you looking forward to? Because I know for me, elements of the Green New Deal, I think would make a big impact, specifically when you talk about the people in like the Rust Belt, the people who have to, you know, work in these, uh, the jobs like, uh, like oil drilling or uh, natural gas, things like that. Fossil mm-hmm. fuels basically is what I'm getting at. Yeah. And that if, I, I absolutely agree. And also if we want to have a future, like if we want to have a future that's going to last more than a, um, a lifetime or two, we, we have to make drastic changes. So I think more renewable energy, um, taking aspects of the green new deal and, uh, and, a, and an important thing that needs to be addressed is police reform. I, I think, you know, yeah. Allocating resources and getting more mental health professionals involved in, in certain instances. You know, if uh, there are circumstances where you don't need to send armed police officers and, and instead sending mental health professionals to rectify a situation would be more advantageous uh, and more conducive for more positive results. So, uh, and I mean, th- th- those are a couple of things. I think, uh, you know, ideally less defense spending. I mean, uh, how many, how many times, uh, like how, how much machinery and weapons do we need to destroy the, to blow up the world 10 times over, you know, universal healthcare. Healthcare reform's gotta be, it's got to be one of those things that they tackle within the first two years. Um, I agree with all you, uh, with everything you said. I, I think um, going back though, to this, this green new deal, it's before I was blocked by a, a, a friend of mine that I knew who he was like a, like a stunt double here in, in LA, yeah. but he, he fled Los Angeles when uh, the lockdowns uh, happened. So he, he went back to the Midwest. Why did he block you? <laughs> he blocked me because I, I, uh, I put a meme that uh, basically said um, Joe Biden got more votes than Donald Trump. And um, the meme was like a guy wearing a MAGA hat and he was, he was looking at this and the next little box had him saying, I don't understand. <laughs> like he didn't understand. Like that's how it happened. Biden yeah. got more votes. Trump lost. Like there's no, 
There's nothing else to it. Oh, was that the one where he said, uh, where it said, um, how Biden stole the election? Yes. He got that's, more that's votes. The, that's and the then one. the guy said, uh, and then it says, oh, if only I knew how to read. <laughs> Oh, I'm sure there's variations to this thing. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. no, I, that's the same one. It's been circulating, but yeah, that that's that's the yeah. one. That was the one that sent him over the edge. But um, uh, I remember uh, prior to him blocking me, there was a conversation done on Facebook, and um, it was uh, talking about how he had he had gotten a, a job in fossil fuels, and it was prior to the election, though. Part prior to that, and um, he thought like Pennsylvania or Ohio or Wisconsin, I don't know, all those states there would vote overwhelmingly for Trump because of the fossil fuel industries. And um, I told him Joe Biden had a plan that will basically put forth green jobs, which um, will eventually replace the fossil fuel uh, industry and make it a clean energy Uh economy. And he was he was basically saying to me that, oh, well, um, that's just not going to happen. I mean, I'm like, what, what do you mean it's not going to happen? Like nobody is like married to like oil. Nobody's like, this is my sweet, crude American oil. I am so proud of this. Like, no, it, they, they want the fucking paycheck is what they want. They want the the hourly, whatever, thirty five dollars or whatever, 50 bucks. Sure. I mean, there might be a couple of people in Texas. Who, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, is Elon Musk going to make an electric lawnmower? I don't think so. So we're going to have to save the American oil industry. That's what it was. No, I don't think so. I I, I totally think it's going to be all about replacing, like, instead of extracting oil, erecting a, a, whatever, those wind tunnel things or whatever they call them, the wind turbine, wind tunnel, uh, windmills. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just has to be presented in a concrete way, I think, that this is a viable not just a viable energy resource, but a viable job and a viable industry that will replace these generational industries. I mean, the thing that's scary about it, I think for a lot of people, it must be that it's been in their family for years, the the coal industry or the oil industry. And if you say, Mm -hmm. okay, we're going to phase out but these jobs will take their place and you will, we will give you the skills and there will be the opportunities. If if we're able to make kind of a smooth transition there, then yeah, hopefully there would be a chance. But because again, for the survival of the human race, it's necessary. I have another person that hasn't blocked me yet. Another conservative friend that uh, always goes on to my Facebook and talks about how climate change is, is actually real, but it's uh, not man-made and therefore we should just keep polluting like crazy. So, you know, I, I think it's just in order to stop Trump again, as far as this Patriot Party or whatever, I think those kind of jobs, like the Green New Deal, replacing some of these polluting jobs and hiring these people on similar pain or even higher pain jobs in the, in the green economy will stop Trump in his tracks. I mean, if you look back on it in 2017, 2018, it was all the deregulation of all these um, kind of gross polluting uh, companies. Oh yeah. You know, you know and, the, and the profits think, went through the roof. Yep. And that's, I think that's one of the reasons why Trump had a solid economy for several years because he took out every regulation, so these these folks are allowed to just go insane with polluting and, and fracking and with, without a care, yep. and that that allowed their profits to increase. Uh, so basically, he was mortgage he mortgaged our future for the stock market today. Right. Short-term gain. It, it's just, it's just disgusting. Uh-huh. But out of all the scandals that we witnessed with Trump, I'm really hoping that um, we go back to like this, the really small manageable scandals. Like um, for instance, Joe Biden has a Peloton in his place and there's a, there's a security concern about this Peloton. Uh-huh. And, um, and this is something that, um, we can look back to the hysteria that um, Sean Hannity made with uh, Obama's Blackberry, Obama's uh, tan suit, Mm -hmm. which Ronald Reagan actually once wore. 
Obama's displeasure yeah. with not being able to mm-hmm. drive. He had a Chrysler 300 in yeah. Chicago. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's, it's so crazy, the level of scandal, whereas Trump had dozens of incidents that would have canceled <laughs> anyone else's political career uh, yeah. with good re- for good reason. Uh, not normal. I think that's one thing, and uh, thankfully we're, I, I hope we're past the, the Trump years because it's, uh, yeah, n- not normal. And I think we were dangerously close to being like, well, I guess this is the norm. Uh, but back to the Peloton thing, what is it because the Peloton's connected to the internet and they think like someone can, uh, like, like, uh, bug the like what what's the security concern with the peloton i think you can zap people through it like if you if if you can hack them no i'm kidding i have no idea i i think what it is is i think there's this, this like um a location thing i i think there's some sort of marking where like where is the president and i i think it kind of pins him down in certain certain locations so you know i guess that would be some sort of national security threat if if they know that he's in this room or something like I don't know. I, 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 that's just that's just me throwing out what I think it is. I, I think we need to hire the president a uh, private spin instructor. <laughs> have them on have have them on call. You know they'll live in the uh, in the East Wing when Joe's ready for his daily workout. They'll they'll come by and they'll have Joe's workout mix. What songs do you think are on Joe Biden's workout mix? I don't. I'm thinking. I don't know. I'm thinking like uh, like Janet Jackson. I'm thinking Janet Jackson. Rhythm Nation. Okay, I like that. Oh yeah, that would. I mean, oh, I could see him getting hyped uh, to some Janet. Um, Janet is always classic. Um, Miss, Miss Jackson, if you're nasty. And but Joe, uh, I also think he, he's a little bit of a classic rock guy. Uh, I think he could uh, maybe a little. Oh yeah. Taking care of business. Bachman Turner Overdrive. I, I think so. I think. Uh, Maybe some, maybe some Bob Dylan, you know? Oh, sure. Maybe he's got like a little CBD Very classic. kind of low key little, little thing going on. So pops in a little Dylan, puts his feet up on the resolute dash. Put on some Dylan and then pop a CBD gummy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just kind of, you know. CBD Shaw. Yeah. And uh, just kind of look at that painting of Benjamin Franklin and just admire it. So uh, I want to thank you for coming on to the episode number three of the ramble i feel like we got a nice ramble there going uh this is the first thanks for letting me ramble oh man it it was a pleasure and um uh what what are you what are you working on now during this COVID thing i know you got some sketches i saw your sketch there the uh spaghetti restaurant i thought that was that was really really funny spaghetti spaghetti house Oh, thanks, man. And I appreciate you reposting it. Uh, that was um, mighty neighborly of yeah, the nerve. Uh, it was funny. Yeah. I, I, well, you know, we, we talked about uh, the, the UCB and, you know, that babies aren't open right now. So I, I started a Twitch channel that where I've been having uh, some comedy shows. I have uh, at least two regular monthly shows, and I'm uh, looking to get a couple other shows started. Uh on, on the channel as well. You can find that at twitch.tv slash chuckleface. <laughs> chuckleface is the Twitch channel. And then I also have a podcast where uh, a buddy of mine and I, uh, we talk uh, what's new in streaming TV shows every week. Uh, it's called Binge Boys. You can find Binge Boys wherever you find podcasts and we we, uh, it, we goof around we, we have a lot of fun and uh and then we we always give you uh something to come away with to like maybe take a look at maybe watch and uh, so find binge boys wherever you find your podcast and then uh yeah i'm doing a lot of different comedy things on uh social media you can follow me at hal rudnick h-a-l-r-u-b-n-i-c-k on Oh, excellent. Awesome. I'm going to subscribe to your podcast. I didn't even know you had something like that going on. That's really funny. Oh, thanks, brother. I appreciate it. All right, cool. And this was Hal Rudnick for episode three of The Ramble. I hope you guys have a nice, safe week. And uh, thanks again, Hal. Have a great, great day. Thanks for having me, Mervyn.